Hi, Shannon Waller here, and welcome to Team Success. Today, I get to interview one of my dear, dear friends, an associate coach with Strategic Coach, an incredibly talented and wise business owner and author, and I am so excited to share her amazing content and context with you today. So, Patty, welcome to Team Success. I'm so glad we're doing this today. I'm so thrilled to be here, Shannon. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Oh, my pleasure. So, Patty, not that long ago, you published your first book, of which there will be many, I know, because we've, <laughs> t- we've talked about this, called Up Solutions. And one of the reasons why I think it is so 100% absolutely relevant for our team success audience, which includes business owners and teams and leaders, well, the subtitle of Up Solutions is turning teams into heroes and customers into raving fans. So we're going to do a deep dive into exactly what that means. But you are passionate about teams and you're passionate about customers and you're passionate about the customer experience. But before we jump into that stuff, why don't you set us up and just let us know how did your business happen? Because you have a phenomenal company, Profit Generator, and great programs for smallish business owners, although I'm sure some of them aren't that small anymore. And I've known you for a long, long time now. So talk about how you get started, your entrepreneurial journey, and what really set you on this path of passion for turning teams into heroes and customers into raving fans. Okay, great. Well, as with most entrepreneurs, it was, of course, a bumpy, convoluted road. (laughs) And I would say what really started me on this path was when I was at university, I worked in a small chain bookstore. So this was a small bookstore in a mall in the small town that the university was in. And I had a really good manager. So everyone on the team was trained that whenever a customer came into the store, you stopped what you were doing, you greeted them. Can you help them? Are they looking for something? If they were looking for something specific, you took them to the section, put the book in their hand. If we didn't have it, we offered other alternatives or we saw if we could order it in, which it was a small bookstore. We weren't supposed to do that. And we did it all the time. When a customer was in the store, they had our full attention. So there was no talking about what happened on the weekend or what concert we went to. They had our full attention when there were customers in the store. And a couple things came out of that. One was that routinely, like on a regular consistent basis, we had customers pop their head into the store and just say, I wanted to let you know we've been in through most of the stores in this mall, and this is the only one we felt welcomed and appreciated. And then we just wanted to say thank you. Wow. So that was, you know, it was fun to work there. It was high energy. It was purposeful. We had an engaged team. We had each other's back. But part of that is because we really were purposeful. We were focused on that customer experience before people talked about creating an experience. And the retention, like the turnover of the team, this is all part-time, mostly university students or even some high school students, and really, really low turnover. So a gelled team. And the other piece with that is at the end of the year, that small bookstore, this is around 1987. Mm -hmm. So that small bookstore was budgeted to generate about 500,000 gross revenue. And we did just over a million. Wow, that's amazing. Yes. So that experience really stayed with me. The engaged team, the low team turnover, it was fun to be there. We had an impact and business results were generated. And so I would say that started me on my path. The other piece is when I graduated from university in 
89, there were no jobs. That was the first layer of middle management layoffs. I remember the headline in the newspaper, IBM lays off middle management for the first time in its history. So that was the first impact of the microprocessor. No corporations were hiring. And that was the traditional, you get a job, you work through the corporate ladder. And so I kind of stumbled around, tried to find my way. In fact, one of the first things were actually a couple of network marketing. That was when network marketing started to have its thing. And very quickly, I was being asked to do retail training. So I was part of an office in Mississauga in two different organizations. I was ended up being in the group. I was doing all the retail training and I was on stage and, and that just kind of evolved from there. I would say I was really good at getting something off the ground. I was good at my personally getting out there delivering. I could, you know, find customers, gain customers. And with my personal sales, I knew how to get something to that level. But I just didn't know what to do to get it beyond that. Mm -hmm. And that's when I came across Strategic Coach. So that was one of the pivotal shifts is actually coming across strategic coach because that layering of identifying unique ability, what should I be spending my time on? The idea of the time system, as simple as it is, to actually recharge the batteries and not be running on empty, trying to get something moving all the time, that just layered everything in. So in 2005, it was time for the next stage. And that was launching the Profit Generator Program. At that time, we talked about turning your customer experience into profit. That was the language of the time. And through that, I've worked with a lot of different businesses, manufacturing businesses, retail businesses, a lot of pharmacy owners. That was a target audience I spent about 10, 11 years working with. And I kept saying, are you playing the right game of business? I find that most business owners and team members think that their business is what they sell. And my argument would be your business is the value you create, the solution you provide, and what you sell, your products and services, are really just your vehicle. Mm -hmm. And so shifting that thinking that allowed businesses to become more profitable rather than playing the commoditization game and being squeezed, that kind of got me up to where I am now. Congratulations. I didn't realize it was 2005. Mm -hmm. I know, time flies. We've known each other a long time, which I love. <laughs> Lucky me. So there's a whole bunch of things I want to riff off of from what you just said. So let's define up solutions because it's really a contrast. And then I want to get into the mindsets because you have three really profound mindsets, which it really helps to anchor everything else that we're going to talk about. Yeah, there's a cool story behind Up Solutions, but it's because it names a perspective that you were just talking about that's quite different than what most people are used to. So let's contrast mm -hmm. that for a moment. Yeah, that's perfect. It was actually a pharmacy owner that I'd worked with who coined the phrase Up Solutions, and he graciously allowed me to use it because for me, it was the perfect term that captures the focus, the mindset, if you will, that what we're creating is value or solutions for our customers rather than trying to upsell them. So the contrast is, you know, McDonald's made famous the upsell, would you like fries with that? Would you like to make that into a happy meal or, you know, whatever the adult version is. <laughs> so the upsell is how much can you sell the customer? Up solutions is who is the customer, what do they need, and how do we guide them to making the best buying decision for their needs? Mm. And that's all about creating value. Mm -hmm. Love that. Cool. So 
In order for someone to really look at things from this perspective, though, there is a mindset shift that has to happen. And you talk about three in the book. And let's just cover those because I think if you're able to make this mindset shift or shifts, then everything that you say makes perfect sense. But if someone does it, they're like, what? How does that work again? And obviously, I mean, to my mind, upselling is all about you and upsolutions is all about the customer, right? So it's a very different perspective. Let's go through those three mindsets. And again, I want everyone to know, please run out and buy this book. Kindle, I have the hard copy, a signed copy, thanks to Patty. It has so many concrete examples. Like every single thing that you talk about, Patty, you've got lots of examples of actual store owners, retail stores, even online with names and results that really specify, you know, exactly what the benefit of this is. So there's nothing esoteric at all about this. It's incredibly practical, which I didn't realize how much I loved it until I read your book. <laughs> it's like, this is so good. Because it's really, you can put it into action. You can see the difference right away. But anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself with some of those stories. But talk about what are the three mindsets and why is it so important for people to make this shift? That's great. And you're right. You're spot on, Shannon. It's actually the first three chapters in the book are these mindset shifts. Because for me, that sets the stage for you understanding really the impact you have with your business and the positioning that I I like to say as a business owner, how can you be positioned as a solution partner for your customers? Mm -hmm. So the first mindset shift is the opportunity and change. And of course, we are, (laughs) we're dealing with change right now. It's, you know, when we're recording this July, 2020. So we're dealing with change on steroids, if you will. And there's a huge opportunity. What is it? It's like whenever one door closes, another door opens, but the problem is we spend so much time looking at the closed door. We're missing the opportunities that are like literally knocking on our door. Mm-hmm. So every time there's a shift, every time there's a change, there actually is expanded abundance. There have been multiple studies that every time we've gone through a crisis and the level of crisis we're dealing with right now with the global pandemic that every single time there's a crisis, crisis interrupts all patterns. But as we adjust, adapt, and new patterns are set, every single time over centuries, every single time we've gone through, adjusted, and come out the other side, we have come to a higher level of abundance for everybody. Hmm. And I think right now is the time of the entrepreneur. I've actually been writing articles. A writer that I work with, a journalist that I work with, sent me a Washington Post article by a professor who's saying that the entrepreneur is dead. Corporate is the only way to go through. And anyway, she's suggesting that we actually pitch them to write a rebuttal article because it's like, I think we are coming through the richest period. I actually think corporations are in trouble. I mean, national corporations, not entrepreneurial-led corporations, because they're not as adaptable. Mm -hmm. And we are in a period of time of adaptability wins the game. I also think brick and mortar, you may have to change how you do business, but this is it. We're the hub in a community that I think we have the opportunity to bring our communities out of this strongly. So there's a greater time to actually connect and know your customer base than at any other period of time, probably in our lifetime. So the first mindset is the opportunity and change. Oh, I love that. No one can see my face right now. <laughs> He's that professor. First of all, the professor has probably never been an entrepreneur ever. 
But I'm like, that is the most whack thing I've ever heard. But the other thing, going back to the community part, which really was touching and meaningful for me, was the whole focus on relationship versus transactions. Mm -hmm. And that is so powerful. A lot of corporations, and by the way, they're very good at transactions. I appreciate the speed with which certain companies operate. It's all good. I'm expecting something to be delivered today. So (laughs) that's all good. But it's not the community. Right. And so if someone does not have a focus on relationships, they're going to miss out on the incredible opportunity that's probably right in front of them. I actually think the business impact from the global pandemic has accelerated trends that were already in the marketplace Mm -hmm. where we may have been willing to just operate and be squeezed. But, you know, we're not being forced to change. And this year we're being forced to change. We're being forced to challenge and question. I love The U.S. Senator who became Chicago's mayor, Rahm Emanuel, said after the 2008 market crash, never waste a crisis. And he was really swiping off of Winston Churchill, who at the end of the Second World War said, never let a good crisis go to waste. (laughs) And he was saying that as he was coming together, Russia, the States, and Britain to create the United Nations. There's just profound opportunity out of crisis. Mm -hmm. And what you said Shannon, around relationships. I think there are actually new business rules. And I've been saying this for years, but now it's essential. And that is we're shifting from sales to solutions and from transactions to relationships. And if you're not clearly communicating why choose you to your right audience, you're being squeezed and forced to compete on price and being squeezed out of business. Mm -hmm. You either are making the shift to a customer-centric solution-based business model or you're going out of business. Oh, powerful, but true. Mm -hmm. Yep. One of your other rules, if I remember correctly, has to do with teams and the importance of really tapping into your teams. And of course, I know we'll be talking about that more as we go through our conversation, but talk about why teams are so relevant to this perspective and actually acting on what you're talking about. Because a lot of teams are, I hate to say it this way because I love teams, but they're a necessary function of doing business. It's not something that they look forward to. They look at the hassles of payroll and people and complexities because people are complex. But as far as you're concerned, it's kind of like the secret sauce. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's actually one of the mindset shifts because this is turning your team into heroes. So think of it as two sides of a coin. So the entrepreneur might have the vision of the business and the passion behind the launch of it. But once you're beyond a one-person show, it's on the team. The team are the one who are delivering results, having conversations with clients, finding out what they need, creating solutions. And in strategic coach terms, they're actually bringing their unique ability to your organization. So the richness, the expansion, I think of my own team. And, you know, my team has been virtual for years. I have a project manager. I'm actually in the process of hiring a new virtual assistant because that's a missing piece, but I've got an online marketing manager. I've got a social media manager. And it's not that they're taking things off my plate. They are doing that. But they bring such a richness of ideas that completely expand what I thought I was going to do. There's just no way that I could have the impact without them. Mm -hmm. So the wisdom of teams is any team member who's been in an organization for three months or more are actually experts compared to customers. Mm. But they have to understand there's a shift in thinking with your team. Too often, team members are set up as task masters. In other words, they have a job and their job is to do these tasks. Every team member should be set up as a hero, as a problem solver. 
So their job is actually to identify who the customers are, who are they interacting with, and how can they make their day? You know, the team members know so much about customers. So I've worked a lot with pharmacy owners. Well, when a patient comes into a pharmacy and hands in a prescription, that pharmacy team knows more about what's going on in that patient's body than the patient does. Mm. The rule of thumb is that the patients don't even know the questions to ask to make an effective buying decision. They don't know what's possible because they don't know what you know. Mm -hmm. So just guiding a customer to making a buying decision that they're happy with, guiding them through what they need to know by asking questions, just doing that creates an incredible amount of value. Now, Pat, I know you have a wealth of examples of this, you know, so can you just choose one? Like, what is an example of that question process? What does it look like? Mm -hmm. And you give a couple of great pharmaceutical examples, but what's one that comes to mind for you? What's the language that gets used? Because those are actually tools to my way of thinking. What do people say in order to be able to provide solutions rather than just upselling? Absolutely. And in the book, we have a chapter, I actually created it as a recipe, the Up Solutions recipe, which I'll go through what the recipe is, And then I'll put it into an example, a concrete example, so you see it in action. Mm -hmm. The Absolution recipe is a very simple four-step recipe. The design of this was to make it easy for teams to understand their role and to deliver on their role. So the first step in the recipe is applied observation. What do you know about your customer, client, patient that they don't even know that you know, just because of your experience of dealing with people day in and day out, what applied observation. The second step is asking probing questions. Probing questions are no more than asking questions that help people come to understand how to make an effective decision. How do you help guide someone to make an effective decision? And that those are probing questions. The third is to offer an up solution and communicate why you're making that recommendation. And the fourth is what's an ongoing relationship development opportunity. Mm. So again, we want to shift from transactions to relationships. So how do you stay in touch with these people that you're serving? And how do you position that you're who's top of mind? Whatever it is you offer that they think about you, again, you're literally set up as a trusted solution partner in whatever solution base that you offer. So that's a four-step. A really simple example is a good friend of mine decided to put up a shelf in his office, you know, just one of those floating shelves on the wall. And he goes into one of those storage stores and he's in the shelving aisle and a young clerk comes up to him and says, you know, can I help you? And my friend Dan said, no, no, I'm fine. Normal response, right? But he's in the shelving aisle of this store. And so the young clerk asks the probing question, what type of wall do you want to put a shelf up on? Well, now Dan's completely engaged. Well, it's, you know, just a a normal wall, right? Drywall. Drywall Mm -hmm. wall. And then the young clerk says, well, what would you like to put on your shelf? You know, some, just a couple books, knickknacks. And so then the young man's comment was, well, in order to put on this type of wall and with what you want to put on it, this is the shelf I recommend. And the reason why is it's got these inserts into the wall that will fully anchor it and and it won't fall down. So Dan had been looking at a $25 shelf and young clerk sold him with his recommendation, an $85 shelf. And Dan walked out of that store happy with his purchase. Uh 
Now, had he bought the $25 shelf, it probably would have fallen down within a month. (laughs) And Dan would have thought, they sell cheap stuff. I'm never going back. Right. But he didn't even know how to make an effect. You know, people don't know why choose you. The fallback is always price. The lowest perceived price is the only way customers can make decisions because they don't understand what goes into making an effective decision that they're happy with. Mm -hmm. I want to add one more thing, Shannon, if I could, because we talked about the three mindset shifts. And the third mindset shift is your customer. Right. And paying attention to your customer. First of all, if you're paying attention to who your customers are, what's important to them, and you're creating solutions for their needs, there's literally a never-ending improvement Mm. or never-ending opportunity for growth. They will always tell you what next. The challenge is that you actually have to know who they are, which I find that most businesses step over really identifying their target audience. And you have to speak to them, the solution you have for them. And then the opportunity is setting yourself up as that trusted solution partner, but you have to know who they are. And one of the things I talk about in the book is there is a difference. You know, customers are always talking to us. Mm -hmm. The problem is we listen to the words and we don't hear the message. So it's important to dig into that. And we will get to teams, but you're totally right to focus on the customer right now because this is, and the teams are how you do this. So we'll get to that. So one of the things that you said in the book too was that most people have more than one target market. You could have two to, was it five, I think, Uh which is really interesting. I found that kind of intriguing. And what's an example of listening to the message, not just the words? Because I think that's a really great distinction. And the term lately has been tone deaf. But you can kind of miss the point if you're not aware of the bigger picture or if you're only looking at it from your selling perspective, not a solution relationship perspective. So what's an example of that? To answer that, Shannon, I'll just say the message a customer, client, patient only communicates what's important to them. So if they thank you for something, they're telling you, thank you for getting my prescription ready so fast. They're telling you their time's important. If they ask a question, you know, where is this in the store or what's the price of this? And if you're hearing it on a regular basis, it's telling you the thing that your customers are looking for is not easy to find. Mm-hmm. Right? right? And complaints. Oh, my goodness. And Shannon, you turned me on to a complaint as a gift book years and years ago. <laughs> I just love Janelle Barlow. That book is brilliant and really should be essential reading. Again, <laughs> trying mm-hmm. to get essential reading. So complaints are probably the most important customer communication because a customer cares enough about you to communicate it. Right. And we get so caught up in the energy being delivered with an upset, that we miss the message. But really, I want everyone to consider, if a customer takes the time to complain to you, it's really important you're listening. And there's a simple seven-step process in the Complaint is a Gift book that allows you to step back to say, thank you for letting me know. I can't do anything about it if you don't tell me. If I didn't hear about it, puts everyone at ease. Find out more information. What can you do to fix it or solve it? Let the customer know feedback's important. And then also see, is there anything that you learned in that complaint and what happened that you can structure your systems better so it doesn't happen again? It doesn't get repeated. I just want to add into this because 
the reason why this book had so much impact on me and why I was so <laughs> excited to share it is because I had gotten a written complaint from a client. I was young then, much younger than I am now. And I was so freaked out by the energy of it, as you say. And you said it's actually emotionally impactful for both the person sending it and the person receiving it. I thought, wow, I have not actually looked at it that way before. So thank you for that distinction. And I did none of those seven steps. <laughs> I read the book and I was like, oh gosh, I did none of them. You know, and one of the things is if they give it to you verbally, then you need to respond that way. If they give it to you in writing, respond in writing. I didn't do that. Mm -hmm. And there's all of these not hard to do, but I actually wrote a complaint as a gift letter yesterday mm -hmm. or on Friday, a couple of days ago. And it was interesting because I had that in my head. Now that you've reminded me a few points, I could probably make it better. But it was one of the, like, you've been heard, and thank you so much. And I always start off those communications, but it was by email. I thought, this is really important for me to respond, and I can't wait another second. And I had to acknowledge and say, thank you so much, right? Because it is a gift. They're giving you information, as you said, that there's no other way that they could do. But this is my other point here about my experience when I was younger, is that I had zero training idea of how to gracefully respond. And when you have the attitude of a complaint as a gift of really useful information to make my business better, you look at it very differently than, oh my gosh, someone's attacking me, mm -hmm. which is how most people instinctively respond. So thank well, you. Well, it is energy being directed at you. So it feels that way. And even though I know this, when I hear, you know, constructive criticism, <laughs> it still is like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, when I first launched the Profit Generator, one of the original groups with pharmacy owners, I got a complaint. You know, it was before webinars. It was just uh, conference calls being delivering the content. And, you know, Patty, you pause. And when you pause, I'm not sure if the lines dropped, if you're still going on. So I was leaving people hanging and all that was happening is I was thinking. Right. So again, was not nice to hear, but I'm very grateful. I remember it to this day and I'm very conscious when somebody can't physically see me and I'm communicating that if I get into thinking mode, it's an automatic, I'm just thinking. <laughs> <laughs> How clever. Wow. And that's a fairly subtle thing to point out to you, but it allowed you to elevate your own, I don't want to use the word performance, but your own ability to communicate really powerfully. Again, a little like, oh, you don't want to hear that. And it goes a little bit along with our our way of taking an input at Strategic Coach is that all progress starts by telling the truth. <laughs> so you have to kind of figure out, okay, what's true here? And so that you can actually make progress with it. But that's very powerful. Love that. So let's talk some more about really getting to know your customers. And we've talked about hearing the message. And I'm going to actually pick up on things really differently now because of what you've said which is whatever they're thanking you for, whatever they're acknowledging for is actually telling you what's most important. And that's a whole interesting perspective for you as a business owner and as a team member to take because they're telling you what they value, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a key piece, Shannon, you just put, you know, that customer communication and team together because that's essential. Your team are having most of the conversations with your clients, if not all. Right. If the team don't know how to hear the message being conveyed and then up channel, mm -hmm. so you're discussing it 
So the owner hears what customers are saying, what questions do they have, what do they not understand. You know, probably they're hearing about complaints. Certainly, hopefully they're hearing about, and what happened. But it's all the communication, suggestions, appreciation, questions, all the communication, especially ones that are repeated. Mm. You want to capture that. And it actually needs to be something that you're talking about team-wide on a regular basis. Okay, so that makes sense. How do you do that? Because I know you coach people on exactly what the process is. So how do you train team members on what to listen for or how to listen? What's the communication? Because, and you and I know both have exactly the same mindset about this, is that as a business owner or as a leader for your team, it is incredibly important to stay very tuned to those things and to not resist what looks like negative input, Mm -hmm. right? Because without that, you cannot grow. And people are giving you really valuable information about how you can make a course correction and make someone way happier, but it's hard to hear, especially for business owners when this is their baby, they may have invested a lot of time and money and energy, or they thought it was perfect, or that's how they like it. So a lot of, I imagine, ego has to get out of the way on everyone's part. Mm -hmm. Is that right? But you coach people on this all the time. So how Mm -hmm. do you do that? Well, my first is always awareness. Mm -hmm. So the first thing to do, and I use a lot of role playing when I do team training, because I find that knowledge is not enough. You have to have an awareness. And so a big piece for the team is I came across an article years ago online called A Curious Phenomenon, Mm -hmm. that by virtue that we are all customers, we all are experts at customer service. But we seem to completely forget what it's like to be the customer when we cross to the other end of the counter and we're the ones now delivering it. It's almost like we're all capable of it, but we have to train ourselves to look at our business 180 degrees through the customer's eyes. And, you know, it's interesting because it's just as challenging for me, and this is what my business is. (laughs) We have to get outside of our perspective and really take a look. And it's certainly, we start with asking customers and you know, ask them questions and doing surveys and interviews and all of that. But with the team, awareness is the first thing. Experience is the second. I'm actually very excited about evolving virtual reality technology because my training will take a whole different level when I can actually meet team members in a VR environment and I can give them an experience mm-hmm. because that will alter it forever. The moment we've had the experience with the awareness, it forever alters how we operate. So that for me is the first piece. And somebody actually just recommended a book. I've ordered it. I've just received it. I have not yet read it, but it was a pharmaceutical I've worked with, Bob Lominick. He had a resident, a pharmacist resident, who was just really resistant to any type of feedback you know, that doesn't work in a very successful entrepreneurial organization. Somebody actually at the school had recommended this book, Thanks for the Feedback, The Science and Art of Receiving Feedback Well. Mm. It was a 180 degree turnaround for this pharmacist resident that he was able to, as you said, you know, ego is always about confidence. Mm. We need an ego when we don't have confidence (laughs) that we're whole and complete in whatever the situation is. Because, you know, when we're trying to control something and the ego comes in, it's for some reason we're not feeling confident ourselves. The moment people can feel in the driver's seat, it's one of the reasons I like the seven steps in the Complaint is a Gift book is because now you had a process to deal with it that wasn't an upset. And the same thing is with feedback. 
Oh. It really is a gift. Listen, you can choose to take it or not. Does it fit with my reality or not? Am I the right fit for this company or not? Right? You have all those questions and choices to make sure you're in the right place. And the entrepreneur's job is to make sure they have the right team members. The team member's job is to make sure they're in the right organization. Right. That's interesting. Oh, I like that. Talk more about that, Patty. And again, usually not entrepreneurial team members, I hope, especially if they don't have an entrepreneurial attitude. But they're like, oh, something's being done to me. But as far as you're concerned, that's a really active choice that a team member makes. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. And it's always your choice. So you are always in control. Mm. And I can remember, listen, I remember coming out of university and going through interviews. And, you know, when you're trying to find a job, you're just trying to find a job. So with hindsight, and now when I've counseled, you know, other young people coming out of university, say your job is to find the right company for you. What do you want? What do you want to do? What's the environment you want to work in? Who do you want to work with? I have a bias. I'm all for entrepreneurial companies. You know, it's because it's dynamic. You can create your space. You can shine. You have opportunities for growth. People invest in you. And this is where, Shannon, your book is so brilliant. You know, the team success strategies. Again, it starts with awareness and experience. Because if you have never worked with or experienced an entrepreneur, it's a completely different vehicle. It's a completely different type of person to interact. And if you take everything personally, it's not the right fit for you. I should have put that in the book. That would have been, <laughs> would have been a great addition, actually. Yeah, if you take everything personally, forget about it. Well, again, talking about teams, I got really excited about is turning team members into heroes. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, how exciting is that? So let's dive a little bit into that. I mean, obviously they need to have the right attitude and be in the right organization so they do that, but you really structure it so that team members are seen as the heroes because they are thinking in this particular way. So what does it look like for a team member to be a hero? I'm sure some people are like, okay, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the team member's key role is to be a solution provider. Mm -hmm. Your job is to find out what do people want, what do people need, and how can you be a hero to them? And it could be as simple. I remember when I was decided to buy a flat screen TV. It was when LED first came out. And I had no idea. I thought, ah, $400, I'll get a nice, you know, good size flat screen TV. They're coming down in price. And because I know I don't know how to make a decision, I have no idea about TVs, I'm not a tech person, my rule of thumb is to get educated is to go to three different stores. And I was lucky enough that there was a Georgetown TV and stereo store. And, you know, I had somebody ask me questions. Well, how big is the room that you have your TV in? And then what do you like to watch on TV? I would never have thought, you know, well, apparently it's different drama, sports, action, you know, the sound, all of that. And then they also let me know the different types. And I think at that time there was plasma, LCD, and LED was just coming out. Well, I completely got sold on the LED technology, lower energy, easy to fix if there's an issue. All of this doesn't get hot. So I ended up walking into the store with a $1,200 TV happy. Wow. Three times my budget, happy, right? Because I had this thing and I was so excited that it was exactly what I was. How many times have we left some kind of a store 
and got something home to realize we didn't get anywhere close to what we really wanted. Right. And that's so frustrating. So team members have the opportunity that's like you're kind of guiding your customers. And again, you are the experts compared to your customers. Your customers don't even know the questions to ask. And it doesn't matter if it's a financial plan or it's some change you want to put in your house or a product or service you want to, it doesn't matter that you actually become the solution provider. You help guide the customer to make the best decision for their needs. And that really turns you into a hero because then people are happy with what they're getting. It had nothing to do with that I went out with a budget of $400 and I spent $1,200. I was ecstatic with my purchase and I've been happy with that TV ever since. (laughs) That's saying something. (laughs) Well, I love it. And who doesn't want to spend their day being a hero? But I also want to tie it back because it means that you have to have that mindset of relationship. You have to have that mindset of being a problem solver. You have to really know your customer. And we barely touched on that today, but the book goes into a lot more detail. And it's very wise, just saying. And then your team members are the ones who actually will take action on doing this and being your frontline kind of resource for that. I would like to add in here, yeah, please. because I think in the other piece with that is the team members have to be set up to win. Oh, perfect. That's the question I didn't know I wanted to ask. But yes, how do we set team members up to win? Yes. Because I think a lot of them are not. And again, you give some great examples in the book, mm-hmm. especially of clerks who are great and ones who are not. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the first thing, of course, is that awareness and experience. So they understand what their role really is, and it's not the tasks. But the other piece is Everyone needs to understand not just what they're responsible for in their role, but what are the standards in their role? Like, Mm -hmm. what does that look like? If it's, you know, your job is stocking shelves and you're doing it during the store being open, then your job is also customer service, right? Right. Because you're on the front stage of the business, you're probably the one that someone's going to ask where something is or ask questions about products. So you need to be friendly, available, and conscious of that. And I've been in stores that, you know, people that are stocking shelves think their job is to stock shelves and they literally look away from you (laughs) so that you don't ask them a question. That's okay if you're doing it after hours. It's not in the front stage. So the first is standards of the role that really understand. They're educated, trained, and understand the standards. The second is communication. There must be good communication. One of the pharmacy owners that I worked with was actually Chris Cornelison. You know, one of his comments is that when they rolled out standards and they started having a weekly huddle, he created a really unique way of giving team members feedback on a regular basis. But at least, you know, monthly, quarterly, you have to be giving team members feedback. How well are they doing to the standards? Mm. And if you're not doing those three things, everyone wants to feel like they're winning, but they're guessing. Mm. Chris Cordelison's estimate is that, you know, 80, 90% of the time, the team member were guessing what he wanted because he wasn't communicating it and wasn't giving feedback if they were on point or not. And his productivity shot through the roof mm. by just having standards, regular communication so the team members feel like they're in the loop, they know what's going on, they know it's important, and they're getting feedback on how well they're doing against their standards. It's not hard, but it has to be conscious and there has to be structure so it happens regularly. It's interesting because what strikes me is 
that consistency is another theme through the book, which really struck me. <laughs> it was really great. So consistency in that feedback, and I think a lot of companies, at least ones I know, do okay at communication, hopefully with my help. They do okay with standards, but they don't do very well with feedback. Mm. In fact, I can't think of anyone who does it well. Sorry if I've insulted anyone. But just like, how are you doing? It's like, do they go back and check? You know, and the only time that happens is when there's been some kind of a breakdown and you have to transform the experience. Yes. But it's interesting that you say that. And people want to know, and this goes back, if anyone needs validation for this, just go and check with Gallup. Because Gallup's 12 questions, you know, do I know what's expected of me is one of the most critical questions to be able to say, <laughs> your team member to be able to say yes to. And so many companies think they're being really clear in terms of their job description, but it's not even what your responsibilities are for. It's how are you supposed to be doing it? And here's what it looks like when it's done and done really, really well. And very few companies do that. And then they certainly don't loop back and say how you're doing on it. And I want to stress that as productivity goes up, so does profitability. This is your profit plan. <laughs> this is your business, obviously, Patty. But when you increase productivity, as you're listening, you're increasing your profitability. How phenomenal is that? Just by letting people know how well they're doing on your standards. It's a primary driver of profitability. Your team engagement and your team productivity is a primary driver of your company's profitability. Mic drop on that one. Mic drop. <laughs> and another thing you said, Shannon, Without a structure that it happens on a regular basis, most of the time, the only thing the team is hearing about is when something goes wrong. Right. And whatever you want more of, you must reinforce. Mm -hmm. We get more of whatever we reinforce. So if you're not reinforcing what is going right, you're only reinforcing what's going wrong. This is where people are going to be guessing because they don't want to get it wrong, but they're going to miss a lot of the time. Mm. I love, love, love that. All right. Sorry, my brain's kind of shooting off into other directions of things I want to cover before we leave. So you make a difference between customer service and customer care, which I thought was a phenomenal distinction. So can you elaborate on that? Because I obviously much prefer the latter. Because customer service is kind of what people think they know. And actually, this is one point about this book, Patty, and for everyone listening, is that you use business terms that we're familiar with, but you break it down into such a concrete and practical way to take action on it. Everyone has heard that team engagement drives all sorts of good things, but you measure it. <laughs> you demonstrate exactly what that means in terms of, you know, your story, which is only expected to do half a million, did over a million. You know, that's that's a lot more. And those are the kind of results that are possible when you have this level of engagement from your team. So I just want to give you kudos, first of all, for really getting it down to the not hard, you just have to do them consistently, ways of creating that team engagement, maximizing it, delivering on it, creating that environment for people. So thumbs up. All right. So I interrupted you myself. Customer service versus customer care. Let's talk about that for a sec. Yeah, that's perfect. So I would say the similar difference between customer service and customer care or customer experience is the same as upselling versus up solutions. Love it. Right? So customer service, and it's kind of become a catchphrase. It's really anyone who's in a customer facing role. 
and it doesn't distinguish is it good or bad. True. It's really what we're doing out to customers. <laughs> customer experience or customer care means you're paying attention to who they are and you're thinking from their perspective. It's literally a 180 degree shift to pay attention to how are they experiencing what we're doing for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. And one of the things, just fun little anecdotes that are popping up to me from the book, one of the things you tell people to look at things from their perspective is to look up. Mm-hmm. So can you talk about that for a moment? Because it literally made me laugh. <laughs> yes. Book. Well, and this is actually one of the things, Shannon, I'm going to make available to your audience is a copy of a tool called the Touchpoint Scorecard. And the Touchpoint Scorecard is really simple tool It's easy to use, but it's profound because it really enables you to put yourself in your customer's shoes and ask at each touch point, how are we doing? What experience are we creating? Is it aligned with the value of our business? It's also particularly important to do with team members. Mm -hmm. So don't just do it yourself or have your team do it on your own. Do it together because each of you will bring your own unique viewpoint. And it's actually developing your team and developing the muscle to look at through your customer's perspective. So very simple tool, powerful, and we'll give you access to that at the end of this interview. And I say that because the story comes from doing a touchpoint scorecard walkthrough with a pharmacy owner. And it was, I don't know, August. (laughs) The moment I walked through the door and I'm looking up and I'm looking around, I'm looking at the shelves. And up on the wall, just below the ceiling, there's these screws and wire hanging. For me, it's an eyesore. I'm like, it jumps out to me. So almost my first words out of my mouth was, what's that? And they look up and they, oh, that's left over from the Christmas decorations. (laughs) And this was a really engaged, I mean, they were aware, they did touchpoint scorecard walkthroughs on a monthly basis, and it was invisible to them. We don't see what our customer sees. It's invisible to us because we walk through it every day it's kind of like it interrupts the patterns that we take for granted. So the idea of doing this with your customers or looking from your customer's perspective is you see things that you take for granted, but it's obvious. Like I guarantee you any customers walking in the store sees those wires and the screws. And unconsciously we make decisions and change our impression when things don't line up with the perceived value. Right which is all about consistency and packaging, right? If something's dirty or out of date, you talk a lot about that for windows. It's great because I actually love that you use so many brick and mortar examples because a lot of people aren't in their brick and mortar right now. I actually am today for a nice change, you know, because if you're not deemed essential, which most obviously pharmacists and other businesses are now, but this is actually an opportunity to go back and take a look fresh with fresh eyeballs, Mm -hmm. you know, fresh brain. And if you normally walk in the back door, where you park, walk in the front door. Mm-hmm. You know, I heard of actually about one plastic surgery clinic, private, and they would do this. They would actually come in as a patient because they never did. They came in the back way. They had their own parking. They had their own access. And they would come in and they're like, oh, this is good. This is good. This is not. <laughs> because we put blinders on. Anything we do habitually, our brain will make it very efficient and we'll stop paying attention unless there's some threat right? We're just not going to notice those things. So, so important to come in with fresh eyes. And most of us will have a chance to do that because we're forced to. I think we're in the period of greatest opportunity we will experience in our lifetime because all patterns are being interrupted. Mm -hmm. All patterns. 
So when we make a decision, when I choose where I go to buy my pet food, it's unlikely I'm going to change unless they don't take care of me. They don't care unless they force me to. Mm-hmm. Because once I've made that decision, I don't want to reevaluate every two weeks when I pick up pet food, where am I going to go? You know, I don't want to think about that. That's true for everything. Right. But right now, all of those purchasing patterns have been interrupted. We have this huge opportunity to really engage, identify our customers and really engage with them, find out what they want and position our business as a solution. This is why I think we have opportunities to lead our communities coming out of this. But I really think this is the most important opportunity for entrepreneurs that will experience in our entire lifetime. Mm, That's incredibly exciting. So, Patty, how can people learn more? Your book was written before the pandemic. Mm -hmm, Yes. However, it is even more relevant than it was before, if there's such a thing, because there are massive opportunities. And if you want to be part of that pattern interrupt. If someone hasn't been happy, you now have an opportunity to step into the gap and create some incredible value because of how you are setting yourself up and making that connection and building that relationship and being that solution partner that you talk about with your fabulous team. So I think there's incredible opportunity and your book, to my mind, just complete pathway really lays it out in terms of exactly how to think about something and then also what to do about it. So thank you for writing it all down. (laughs) It's a lot of work writing a book, I'm aware. So I appreciate that. So how can people reach you? How can they get this fabulous resource that you talked about? If someone wants to learn more, I know that I was rereading the book for a second time in preparation for today. I was like, I forgot how much great stuff there was in it. And you also have great references to other resources that have educated you, which is another thing that I love to do. So how can people find out more, Patty? Great. Thank you, Shannon. So the easiest way is my website, which is pattymara.com. That's P-A-T-T-I-M-A-R-A.com. We've created a special link for all the listeners of Shannon's Team Success Podcast, and that's pattymara.com forward slash team success. So if you go to that link, you'll be able to get a download. There's actually Five, I'm adding a sixth version of the Touchpoint Scorecard. You just find the one that's most applicable to your business. You can customize it, but it makes it easier to start with examples that are close to your business, your industry. There's a short video training that you can use to guide you through how to use this as a tool. And then I'm pretty active on social media. We actually have an UpSolution Facebook group, which is a private group, and that's where I'm posting a lot of content. So there's information on that on the same page. And then please reach out because, again, Shannon, you're right in there. This is how do we support these incredibly dynamic entrepreneurs and their teams? This is it. This is the time to position and thrive and engage. I've been talking a lot. This is the time to reimagine, reinvent, reposition. Mm-hmm. Even businesses that are essential services still have to shift how they're engaging with their customers because it's all changing. And this is the time to really do that. And you're getting information every day on how to do it. So that's the feedback. Mm, I love it. Thank you. And I know that people are becoming very particular about people with whom they'll do business. So making sure that you are positioned well, I think is extra timely and important. And there's a massive opportunity, as you said, to really be people's partners. And I don't know about you, but when I'm out, could be shopping for something simple or something complicated, I want to be educated. I know I don't know. The people who actually know (laughs) how to educate me and how to teach me the right questions to ask 
oh my gosh, they're gold in my eyes and you lay out exactly how to do that. So Patty, thank you. This is a pleasure. Thank you, thank you, thank you for writing Up Solutions. It is completely in alignment with strategic coach thinking and my own experience in thinking with team success and entrepreneurial teams. So I'm just thrilled to have your incredible view on customer care and how to really deliver these really powerful solutions to people to make everyone's life better. And as you said earlier, to kind of be the hub of the community and make a difference for people. So thank you so much. It's been great. Mm -hmm.